by Annika to read today's passage for us. And our minister David is going to deliver the message after. Morning. Today's Bible reading comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 4. So, 1 Corinthians chapter 4. So then, men ought to regard us as servants of Christ and as those entrusted with the secret things of God. Now it is required that those who have been given a trust must prove faithful. I care very little if I am judged by you or by any human court. Indeed, I do not even judge myself. My conscience is clear, but that does not make me innocent. It is the Lord who judges me. Therefore, judge nothing before the appointed time. Wait till the Lord comes. He will bring to light what is hidden in darkness and will expose the motives of men's hearts. At that time, each will receive his praise from God. Now, brothers, I have applied these things to myself and Apollos for you, your benefit, so that you may learn from us the meaning of the saying, Do not go beyond what is written. Then you will not take pride in one man over against another. For who makes you different from anyone else? What do you have that you did not receive? And if you did not receive it, why do you boast as though you did not? Already you have all all you want. Already you have become rich. You have become kings, and that without us. How I wish that you really had become kings, so that we might be kings with you. For it seems to me that God has put us apostles on display at the end of the procession, like men condemned to die in the arena. We have been made a spectacle to the whole universe, to angels as well as to men. We are fools for Christ, but you are so wise in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. You are honored, we are dishonored. To this very hour, we go hungry and thirsty. We are in rags, we are brutally treated, we are homeless. We work hard with our own hands. When we are cursed, we bless. When we are persecuted, we endure it. When we are slandered, we answer kindly. Up to this moment, we have become the scum of the earth, the refuse of the world. I am not writing this to shame you, but to warn you as my dear children. Even though you have 10,000 guardians in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For in Christ Jesus, I became your father through the gospel. Therefore, I urge you to imitate me. For this reason, I am sending to you Timothy, my son whom I love, who is faithful in the Lord. He will remind you of my way of life in Christ Jesus, which agrees with what I teach everywhere in every church. Some of you have become arrogant, as if I were not coming to you. But I will come to you very soon, if the Lord is willing, and then I will find out not only how these arrogant people are talking, but what power they have. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but of power. What do you prefer? Shall I come to you with a whip, or in love and with a gentle spirit? This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Annika. And uh, let's uh, pray as we come to God's word this morning. Heavenly Father, thank you again for that which you are about to feed us from your word, which is living and active. And we pray that as you speak to us, you would give us ears to hear, eyes to see, 
that we might uh, understand what it is you call us to do and to be as your people today. Father, help me to proclaim this word with all the authority that it has in your name. Amen. Well, today we're here and we're celebrating the good things that God has done for us as a church in 2022, and we've seen some of those things uh, this morning and we've prayed about them. And my heart is filled with thankfulness because I know that our God is a faithful God. Our God is faithful and we should be faithful too because it seems to me faithfulness brings blessing and blessing brings joy and joy brings celebration, lifting our hearts to God just as we are this morning. And so I've chosen a rather unusual passage, 1 Corinthians chapter 4, in order to explore this topic of faithfulness. Faithfulness that leads to blessing, that leads to joy, that brings celebration. In case you didn't know, this letter of 1 Corinthians was written by Paul to a church that he himself planted in about 50 AD, which makes Corinth one of the earliest churches in the world. Think of it, uh, Jesus died in around 33 AD and just 17 years later you've got this church that's been planted all the way away in Greece, 1,500 kilometres away. That's an amazing accomplishment and something to celebrate, isn't it, as, as God's Spirit sends forth his word through his servants. I've been minister here at Burwood for longer than 17 years I haven't seen a, 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 a gospel ministry charge forth from Burwood to, uh, to, uh, to the ends of the earth, but we see that happening here in the life and ministry of the Apostle Paul. Nevertheless, most of the people here at this church at Corinth were relatively new converts, and the world they lived in was really not so different to our own. It was a messed up world. And many of the people were being drawn out of messed up lives to come and receive the hope and the salvation and the freedom of, of the gospel of Jesus. And there were many problems that Paul had to deal with uh, in the church at Corinth. Things like sexual sin, immaturity, false teaching. And added to that, there were these divisions within the church that were developing caused by arrogance and pride and boastfulness and selfishness and disrespect. So yes, there were problems in the church. And you could almost say this church was like a, a teenager whose hormones were out of control. So how do you control, how do you handle these challenges? In a word, faithfully. In a word, faithfully. You need to be fearless and faithful as you exercise loving leadership under Christ. And that's what Paul does. He demonstrates this faithfulness as a servant of the gospel. And he speaks to these people from the heart, writing in this letter and in 2 Corinthians as well. In essence, what he says, if you really believe that Jesus Christ is Lord and Saviour, then stop behaving like unbelievers. Be faithful. Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells within you? Be faithful. Take responsibility for your lives. Stop following the shameful ways of this world. You're better than that. I know you are. Be faithful. So Paul is like a father whose children are behaving badly and he's trying to call them back to their senses to help them mature in Christ. On the one hand, he has to deal gently with a church of relatively new Christians who are still 
searching out and sorting out their faith. But on the other hand, he needs to deal quite strongly with some false teachers who are stirring up these divisions and setting people against one another. This has to stop. And that's why Paul wrote this letter. It's a call to faithfulness from a faithful minister of Christ. And Paul is tough but gentle, firm but clear, strong but compassionate. And this is a shining example of Paul's faithfulness as a leader, which is something we can celebrate and give thanks for today. So this is my plan. This is where we're going. I'm going to share with you four marks of a faithful minister based on Paul's letter to the Corinthians. These are four things that are true of the Apostle Paul, which we can also apply to ourselves for our own blessing and benefit. Four marks of a faithful minister. Number one, servanthood. Servanthood. His first allegiance is to Christ. He is a faithful servant of the Lord. Secondly, courage. The Apostle Paul is not afraid of what people think of him, and he will say what needs to be said. Third, integrity. He's willing to suffer for the truth without changing his message or way of life. And fourth, love, because he genuinely cares for these people. He cares for the people of God. So here we go. Number one, servanthood. A faithful minister is one whose first allegiance is to Christ and he rejoices in faithfully serving his Lord. He doesn't serve two masters. He doesn't serve himself. But his first allegiance is to Jesus Christ as Lord. And Paul says this in verse 1, do you see? Men ought to regard us as servants of Christ and as those entrusted with the secret things of God. That is how you should think of us. We're not salesmen trying to sell you some new product. We're not entertainers trying to amuse you. We're not politicians or power brokers either. But we are servants of Christ and our first allegiance is to him. If you get this right, this understanding of what it is to follow Jesus, to be a servant of Christ, it will transform your life because your identity is now found in Christ. You belong to him. And he belongs to you. And in that relationship, you can begin to really live. You can freely live for him without needing to compete with others. You can be forgiving as Christ forgave you. You can be patient as Christ called you to be. You can be courageous. You can be faithful as a servant of Christ. But what are these secret things of God that he refers to? Secret things of God. Well, these are spiritual truths that are spiritually discerned. They're truths about God, gospel truths that we hold dear as Christians, but which non-Christians find foolish. It's not a, a mystery as, as, as secret that's a, a closed secret. It's an open secret. It's, it's here in the Bible for us all to read. But nevertheless, there is a blindness and a stubbornness of heart, a spiritual deadness which leads non-Christians to find these things that we embrace, they find stupid and foolish. Let me give you three examples. Uh, The first example, the mystery of the cross. That's one of the secret things of God. How it is that God graciously reconciles himself to the world through Jesus' shameful death. The world sees a criminal on the cross, but we see a king and a saviour 
dying for his people that we might live. It's one of the great secret things of God. Or the mystery of the atonement, how it is that the blood of Jesus is able to satisfy God's wrath and save us from our sins and cleanse us from all impurity before God. Another great secret thing of God. The third example is the mystery of the new birth. How it is that those who are once dead in transgression and sin can be made alive by the power of the Holy Spirit. This too is another great truth which Christians love to rejoice in. These are three examples of the secret things of God. And it's the God-given responsibility of every minister to assert, maintain and defend the same. That's actually part of my ordination vows as a minister. And so it should be too, don't you think, that I should assert, maintain and defend the truths of the gospel, these secret things of God which reveal to us all that God has accomplished. Listen to what Paul says next in verse 2. He says, now it is required, it is needful, it is necessary that those who have been given a trust must prove faithful. So here's this theme of faithfulness coming out. Makes sense, doesn't it, that if we are servant of Christ and he has given us a trust, then we must prove faithful in it. My job as a minister is to be faithful. My job as a minister is to declare to you the truth without which you cannot be saved and to do that without fear or favour and to go on faithfully explaining it, sharing it, applying it and living it as a witness and example which means I must be willing to teach you the whole counsel of God, explaining the truths of the Bible and teaching, rebuking, correcting and training in righteousness. I'm not here to be a salesman. I'm not here to be an entertainer. I'm here to share with you the words of life that God has given us, that we might know him and receive him as Lord and Saviour. And I pray that by God's grace, that is something that I will continue to do. For I also understand and tremble in my boots this realisation that he who has received such a great trust must prove faithful. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. Woe to me if my first allegiance is not to Christ, because he is all my strength and stay. If I walk away from Christ... I will fall in a moment. So the first mark of a faithful minister is servanthood, loyal servanthood to Jesus Christ as Lord. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that each one may receive what is due to him for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. And that is a sobering reminder, isn't it? Not only for me, but for you as well this morning, that we are going to be called to give an account for the things that we have done or left undone in our lives. But what a privilege it is to be counted worthy of such a noble task and to be a good and faithful servant of our Lord Jesus. So then, servanthood is the first mark of a faithful minister. And now courage is the second. And this too is a challenging call because generally we care very much what other people think of us. We don't like to stick our heads above the parapet and be called out and and become a focus of criticism. 
And yet to be a good minister requires at times to do exactly that. Requires a strong and faithful heart, a commitment to the gospel, a love for the Lord Jesus. It means that you can't be afraid of rejection or scorn. The Apostle Paul says in verse 3, I care very little if I'm judged by you or by any human court. Indeed, I do not even judge myself. That's true. These words can be taken out of context. Some people say, you can't judge me. Do not judge. becomes an excuse for sin. But Paul is dealing here with unwise Christians who are judging him because of what they see. And what they see is a man who doesn't seem in his presentation to be as impressive as the false teachers who've come into the church and who are making a scene. Well, it's a big mistake to write off the Apostle Paul, isn't it? To judge him by merely human standards. But then if you come to think of it, they did the same thing to Jesus, didn't they? They looked at Jesus and they said, Behold the man! Behold the man! He can't be the Messiah! He's just a common criminal hanging on a cross. How can he be the saviour of the world? If you are the Messiah, come down from the cross. And they mocked him and spat upon him. And they watched him die. Well, how wrong can you be? They made that same mistake with Jesus. And they're making it with Paul. But he says to them in verse 4, My conscience is clear. But that does not make me innocent. It is the Lord who judges me. Therefore judge nothing before the appointed time. Wait till the Lord comes. He will bring to light what is hidden in darkness and expose the motives of men's hearts. We can hide our motives very well, can't we? We learn to wear that mask and we can be one thing in public and another thing in private. But God will bring to light what is hidden in darkness and will expose the motives of our hearts. And Paul says at that time, each will receive his praise from God. Now again, I said it before, but some people think that this kind of argument from the Apostle Paul, and there are other passages in the Bible that say similar things, suggests that we should never judge anyone for the habits of their private lives. But this isn't true. It's not true. In fact, it's, it's a lie of the very first kind because it does contain a grain of truth within it. But then it becomes an opportunity to simply escape responsibility for our lives and to be accountable for, before God for our sin. So in this context, Paul is specifically rejecting the opinionated judgments of his critics. Trouble is, these are inward and subjective things, like the motives of our hearts. We, we really can't judge one another's motives. You don't know what I'm thinking, and I don't really know what you're thinking. You can't pass judgment on my conscience, neither can I pass judgment on yours. That's why the Apostle Paul says, judge nothing before the appointed time. Leave these matters to God. But... I want to pursue this for a moment. If you see me doing the wrong thing publicly, sinning against God, 
saying things that are hurtful or wrong or inappropriate, then by all means, bring that up. Judge me. Don't let me get away with things that are clearly wrong. Call me to account. Show me my sin and call me to repentance because that's the loving thing to do. Sinful actions can and should be judged by fellow Christians. So Paul says just over the page, same letter, chapter 6, verse 2 of 1 Corinthians, he says this, Do you not know that the saints will judge the world? And if you are to judge the world, are you not competent to judge trivial cases? Well, here's an example of judgment right here, isn't there? Do you not know that you will judge angels? How much more the things of this life? Therefore, if you have disputes about such matters, appoint as judges even men of little account in the church. We should be able to work these things out, to resolve differences and disagreements, and to settle matters of sin, and to call people to repentance. Who says we can't judge sin when we see it? Of course we can. Sinful action can and should be judged, whether in the church or in the world. That's why we have laws. That's why we have justice. So don't be deceived. A a true minister of the gospel and every true disciple of Christ will seek to live their lives to please God and not themselves. So take courage. Don't be afraid of what people think of you if you're living your life for Christ. Love the Lord and love God's people. Be faithful, be humble, be generous, and be true. In verse 6, Paul applies these principles to himself and Apollos. He says this, Now, brothers, I have applied these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit so that you may learn from us the meaning of the saying, don't go beyond what is written. In other words, keep it simple. Don't make up extra rules and regulations apart from what the Lord has given us. Don't go beyond what's written. Then you will not take pride in one man over against another. For who makes you different from anyone else? What do you have that you did not receive? And if you did receive it, why do you boast as though you did not? point is these people are starting to think that they've made their own uh, way in the world, even as Christians. It'd be like uh, having a celebration Sunday and just praising one another for what a great job we've done and forgetting that every gift that we receive comes from the Lord. If we're to celebrate and give thanks, then we need to turn that thanks into praise to God. That's the right thing to do. These Corinthians were forgetting that. A faithful minister needs to have the courage to say a hard word in season. There's no avoiding it. True faithfulness doesn't shrink from hard conversations. True faithfulness speaks the truth in love. And if you ever feel that God is calling you on occasion to speak into a difficult situation, I commend to you, pray first. Pray first that God will give you the words to say, because that's one of the promises of Scripture, that the Spirit will help you to say what God wants you to say in that moment. And Jesus will be with you Of that you can be sure. So we do tend to uh, keep our heads down and stay silent when sometimes more often we should perhaps own the convictions of our faith and say what we need to say. Have the courage of your convictions and be faithful because evil prospers when good people do and say nothing. We need to speak against it. So my third point today is now even more challenging than the first two. 
The third mark of a faithful minister is that he'll be willing to suffer for the truth without changing his message or his way of life. That is, integrity. Integrity is really tough. If I was to ask you now what you really want from me as your pastor, is it that you want someone who can make you feel good about yourself? Is it that you want someone who's respectable so that you can say, oh, I'm, I'm the, go to the Burwood Presbyterian Church and David's the moderator of the denomination and, and that's good because he's a respectable person in society? Or is it somebody who can tell you a joke and put you at ease and make you laugh and, and always say the right thing in, in polite conversation? Is that the kind of pastor that you want me to be? Or do you want someone who isn't afraid to tell you the truth, someone who you can trust with the secrets of your life, someone whose decisions aren't dictated by other people's expectations but by a desire to be faithful to the Lord Jesus, someone who isn't afraid of what other people think of him and is willing to suffer loss in order to teach the truth. What kind of pastor do you want? See, this was the ministry of the Apostle Paul which I seek to imitate as he imitated Christ. Remember, the apostle had a very complex situation to deal with. On the one hand, he had to deal gently with his spiritual children who were still working out their faith, and yet on the other hand, he had to deal firmly with these false teachers who'd come into the church and were causing all these problems. It was a very difficult uh, thing that he had to deal with and to care for the whole congregation. So in verse 8, you have this, at first reading, it's a surprising outburst of controlled anger, which must have shocked the church when it was first read, I think. Paul doesn't hold back. Some of his words are as sharp as a, as a surgeon's scalpel, and they deserve our attention today. I'm going to read from verse 8. He says, Already you have all you want. Already you have become rich. You've become kings and that without us. How I wish that you really had become kings so that we might be kings with you. For it seems to me that God has put us apostles on display at the end of the procession like men condemned to die in the arena. We've been made a spectacle to the whole universe, to angels as well as to men. Can you see what's going on here? First, you have this kind of step up in, in arrogance and pride from, from as he says, or you, already you have all you want. You, you're satisfied. And you go from, from being satisfied to now, well, I'm, I'm rich. And from richness, suddenly you, you become kings, uh, lords and, and, and masters of all that they survey. This stepping up from, from, from assurance of faith into arrogance and pride in the wrong direction. Whereas, look what's happened to the apostles. Almost the reverse. They've gone from being called to be apostles and servants of Christ to being condemned to die in the arena and made a spectacle, uh, being pushed away down into the, into the gutter. So you can see that there's something very wrong going in the hearts of, of these people. These, these boasters... They think they've outgrown the need for the Apostle Paul and his ministry to them. And they claim to be wise, but in fact, they themselves are the ones who are poor, blind, and needy. And now Paul really gets going, doesn't he? Verse 10. We are fools for Christ, but you are so wise. 
We are weak, but you are strong. You are honoured. We are dishonoured. How inappropriate to look on the Apostle Paul and despise him. For all that he's done to bring the gospel to them. For all that he has suffered. For the love and the patience and the endurance of his ministry. Listen to this. To this very hour, we go hungry and thirsty. We are in rags. We are brutally treated. We are homeless. We work hard with our own hands. When we are cursed, we bless. When we are slandered, we answer kindly. Up to this moment, we have become the scum of the earth, the refuse of the world. Why? Well, because Jesus is our Lord and because he has sent us to seek and to save the lost. And so we've come to you with that message of salvation and hope which you received at first, and I'm calling you to walk in and continue in. Do you see how terribly Paul suffered? He didn't have to suffer like this, but he chose to. He could have walked away from the ministry of the gospel. He could have rejected Christ and gone back to a comfortable life. The words brutally treated in verse 11 literally mean to be beaten with the fist. Punched in the face. At times he confesses he had no roof over his head. Imitating the very ministry of our Lord Jesus. More shockingly, he actually calls himself the scum of the earth. In other words, the muck and filth and slime that you'd see dribbling down the drains of an ancient city. Get down on your hands and knees and scoop it up. And that's what they think of the Apostle Paul. Something to be flushed down the toilet. When I read these words, I can't help thinking of Richard Wormbrandt, whose life story you saw, some of you saw recently as part of our mission month in October. His willingness to suffer for the truth, his patient endurance as a prisoner in Romania, his experience of being hungry and thirsty and brutally treated and then emerging in the end victorious and full of hope without bitterness or hatred for the people who treated him so badly. It's a 20th century example of what we are sometimes called to do as Christians if we are to maintain our integrity in Christ. It's a challenge, integrity, A big challenge. But friends, there's no shame in suffering for the truth of the gospel. There's no shame in suffering for the Lord Jesus. There's no shame in being mocked or ridiculed because of your faith in him. In fact, you should count it as a badge of honour. The Apostle Peter said, If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed. For the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you.
This is very hard to understand in the world's eyes that we should be so scornfully treated and yet so wonderfully loved by God that we should be counted worthy to suffer for the name of Christ. Well, so far this morning we've seen three marks of a faithful minister based on the example of the Apostle Paul's ministry. They are servanthood, his first allegiance is to Christ, courage, he's not afraid of what people think of him, and integrity, he's willing to suffer for the truth in the name of the Lord Jesus. Now, the fourth mark of a faithful minister comes from verses 14 to 21. I'm going to summarise it as love. A faithful minister is not only willing to suffer for the truth, but he calls on God's people to do the same, knowing that it's the loving thing to do. In verse 16, he says, Therefore I urge you to imitate me. Again, in verse 17, sending Timothy to them, he says, For this reason I am sending Timothy to you, who is faithful in the Lord. He will remind you of my way of life in Christ Jesus, which agrees with what I teach everywhere in every church. One message, one way of life, one Lord, one church. And in verse 21, the close of our passage, he says, Shall I come to you with a whip or in love and with a gentle spirit? So the fourth mark of a faithful minister is love. And just as young children will learn from their parents, so Paul wants the Corinthians as his spiritual children and us today to learn from him in love. How to walk with the Lord in love. He wants us to learn from him. We might see how his faith translates into action, how his love translates into sacrifice and and self-denial, and how his own body is actually given over in service to them. And I know in the same way that you watch me as your pastor all the time. You watch. One of the, uh, the joys of being a pastor and a pastor's wife is to be like goldfish in a bowl. Uh, we are watched. And uh, that's part of, the, part of the role. And that's scary too at times. And yet I hope that you can see in me something of that same desire to honour Christ and to teach his word faithfully and to do so without fear or favour. With Paul, I urge you this morning to imitate me in this to the extent that I imitate Christ so that together in Christ we can rejoice in the knowledge that we have been saved and redeemed by such a wonderful saviour. Imitating others is one of the basic ways that we learn as human beings. Children do it all the time. Adults do it too. We are natural imitators. Of course, you have to be wise about who you follow in this world, but if you have a good role model, you can grow in leaps and bounds. Therefore, Paul says in verse 14, I am not writing this to shame you, but to warn you as my dear children. Even though you have 10,000 guardians in Christ, you did not have many fathers. For in Christ Jesus, I became your father through the gospel. It's very personal, isn't it? Therefore, I urge you to imitate me. Can you feel the love? The fatherly love of the Apostle Paul for this congregation is great. 
All through this passage this morning, we've seen that Paul is like a loving father. Everything he says is coming from that heart of love, a heart that has itself been humbled by the mercy and grace of a very great saviour. And even if he does speak a little severely at times, it's only because he wants to see people saved. So in the last section of our passage, he speaks from the heart, as every faithful minister must. Look at verse 18. Some of you have become arrogant, as if I were not coming to you, but I will come very soon if the Lord is willing, and then I will find out not only how these arrogant people are talking, but what power they have. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but of power. What do you prefer? Shall I come to you with a whip or in love and with a gentle spirit? It's decision time, isn't it? Paul has called them very clearly to account. And sometimes a doctor has to cause a little pain to their patient. But it's only in the interest of helping them to get better, isn't it? You know how it is. You go to the dentist, it might cause a little pain to resolve the hole. Or um, I'm sure that uh, Narelle would say the same thing about her new knee. It's not pleasant to be given a new knee, but uh, it's wonderful to see her up and walking and uh, to share tea with her this week. Sometimes a doctor has a cause, a little pain, in order to help the patient get better. And that's what the Apostle Paul is doing here. It's done in love, not to shame, not to humiliate, but to build up and encourage. So then, these are the four marks of a faithful minister that have been clearly displayed in the life of the Apostle Paul today in which he calls us to imitate. Number one, servanthood. His first allegiance is to Christ. Number two, courage. He's not afraid what other people think of him. Number three, integrity. He's willing to suffer for the truth in the name of the Lord Jesus. And number four, love. He genuinely cares for these people. In conclusion, we've seen that faithfulness brings blessing. Blessing brings joy and joy brings celebration that we might lift our hearts in praise to God. And so I hope and I ask and I pray that our aim as a church in 2023 might be to grow in love and faithfulness, that the world may know that Jesus Christ is Lord. And as I close, I want to ask that you would keep me in your prayers. Pray for me. Encourage me to pray for you faithfully as well. Pray that I might be a faithful minister of the gospel. Pray that God would keep me from laziness and fear and the temptation of watering down the truth of the gospel. And pray that whatever 2023 brings, that I'll be willing to go wherever the Lord leads me. And pray for us all that together we might grow in the knowledge and the love of our Lord, that the joy of our salvation may be in our hearts and on our lips, no matter what the world does. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your mercy and grace, for your patience and your faithfulness. Everything you promise, you do. And so you have lifted us up, you have sought us, and you have found us, and you have called us. Help us, Lord, to be people who follow a risen Saviour, like the Apostle Paul, that we might be servants of the gospel, courageous in life, with integrity 
and a determination to stand for what is true and to do it all in a spirit of love that we might genuinely care for one another and give thanks and praise to you. In Jesus' name, amen.